You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Father, we thank you for your great goodness, unfailing to us because of your own nature, because you are faithful, Lord God. You have blessed us, Lord. You have anointed us with your Holy Spirit, not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can worship you for all that you are and all that you've done for us. We are here for you, Lord. And we come, Lord, now to your word asking that your spirit would clearly speak to us, Father. That from the scriptures, we would hear the voice of God and would we be strengthened to have the faith to put into practice what is given to us, Lord. Because you love us, we are glad to show our love to you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Attend to us now and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, as you're taking your seats, please grab your Bible and open it up to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to consider Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 7 today. There have been a couple um, marks in my life recently that have caused me to recognize that though there's still a lot left in the tank, um, the fuel of youthful energy that I once had is slowly diminishing. Kind of felt that way this past week when I was scrolling through social media and I wasn't excited, but I got scared when I found out that Canada's Wonderland has now the largest and fastest dive coaster in all of the world. Many years ago, I'd have seen that and be like, yes, sign me up. How do I get a fast pass? Let's go. But I saw that and I was just like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll go on the ghoster coaster. <laughs> there are a couple things in my life have caused me to see, like, I, I don't have the same energy that I used to. And, you know, fear of heights is one of those things. When I was younger, I used to be, like, danger, let's go. Risk, let's go. Um, I'm going to share a couple things that I did in my teen years, and we can play a little game. Thumbs up, that's dangerous. Thumbs down, ah, that's okay, that's safe. Uh, playing video games on my parents' roof. Yeah, wasn't safe. Lots of fun, not safe. Um, playing with fire, safe or not safe. Dangerous. Yeah, we played this game called Toss the Coal. Guess how you play. <laughs> wasn't fun. Well, it was lots of fun, actually, but... <laughs> We've gotten to the point in the book of Colossians where having expressed the faith that we need to have in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, now in chapter 2, Paul is addressing the danger of false teaching that is infiltrating the church. And worse than a broken bone, uh, worse than uh, burnt flesh, is the danger that false teaching poses to our souls. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be evaluating this false teaching that had infiltrated the church and considering if there are similar marks today of false teaching that can come into our church. But today in chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 7, Paul is kind of giving us a primer to get ready to address the false teaching. He's going to help us understand how we can be prepared to be equipped to resist the deception that can come from false teaching. 
So what we're gonna learn today is three values. Three values that will equip us to be able to resist temptation together in Christ. And those are two words that you're gonna see threaded throughout this entire message. That in order to resist temptation, we need to do it together and we need to do it in Christ. So let's together stand as we often do in honor of, to God of the reading of his word. Let's stand now as we read Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 7. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You can take your seats. Three values that will equip us to be able to resist deception together in Christ. The first value is found in verse one to verse three, and it's this, love. Love that enables full assurance. Love that enables full assurance is gonna be able to equip us to resist deception together in Christ. Just before chapter two, the context in chapter one, verse 28 to 29, expresses that Paul works hard to serve the Colossians with a gospel message, and he works hard with a gospel message so that the results would be their maturity in Christ. Look at it with me, verse 28 of chapter one. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul works hard, Paul struggles, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works through me. And what's the result? What's the, if maturity was attained, what's the byproduct? What would we see? Verse one of verse three shows us. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The byproduct of maturity that Paul struggles for them to receive is full assurance in the knowledge of Christ. That's what they need if they're gonna be able to resist deception. Full assurance, what that means isn't that you know everything, you can know a lot about God's word, but have no assurance of God's word and of Christ. This word full assurance in the original language means uh, carried to completeness. Carried to completeness. It doesn't mean that I know everything, but it means that I have a complete confidence of the truth that God has revealed in Christ Jesus. And what is the truth that God has revealed in Christ Jesus? In the book of Colossians, we see the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That everything that we could ever know about God is made known through Jesus. That the way that we can have a relationship with God is fully known through Jesus. 
that how we can live a life that pleases God is fully and only through Jesus. It was a mystery that was once hidden, but it was fully revealed through Christ, Christ exclusively, comprehensively. If you want to know God, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to live a life pleasing to God, it's through Christ. And in order to resist deception, Paul wants them to have this full assurance in Christ. And in order to be able to gain that, he struggles for them to have their hearts encouraged. Not like a fuzzy feeling in your emotions. The heart, biblically, refers to the inner self that comprises all of our affections, all of our will, all of our decision-making, all of our personality. Paul wants their hearts to be encouraged, and he believed that their hearts would be encouraged being knit together in love. See, our aim as a church should be to love one another. And in our small groups, and when we gather together, when we have a love for one another, we will be enabled as one, as a unit, to seek a common goal. And that common goal that we seek is knowing Christ and finding the fullness of assurance in Christ. Paul wants the Colossian church, and we can, with the Colossian church, be equipped to resist tempta- uh, deception, and we will do that when we have love for one another, love that enables full assurance. So together, let's be a people that seek Christ. When we come together on Sunday mornings, our aim should be to seek Christ, to know him, to worship him. When we gather together for small group, no pet theologies, no personal agendas, we come to seek Christ. Colossians chapter three says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It also says in Colossians chapter three, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love love allows us to, as one, orbit like around the central mass that keeps us in a rotation who, like a planet orbits around a sun. We as a church should fully be orbiting around Christ, And when we do that together, we as one, like a team playing for a common goal, we can seek Christ together. And we can reach the riches of full assurance. And it is a treasure to have full assurance in Christ. It's a treasure to have the confidence that what I believe is true and I know the way I'm going. But when we lack assurance it can feel like we're wandering around in the darkness. When we lack assurance in what God has revealed to us, it can feel like we are following down a path that we don't know the end to and we don't know where we're going because we can't even see our hand in front of our face. I already shared a few of the foolish stories of my youth. You're gonna hear a few more of them today. When I was in high school, uh, I spent a lot of the summers up at uh, my parents' cottage in Muskoka. And there was this place about 40 minutes outside of town where our cottage was. It was a park that was really beautiful in the daytime. uh, But at nighttime, it had this reputation of being like a haunted place. And uh, 
teens and young adults would frequent there in the night and tell their friends to come and try and spook them. And me and my buddy thought, I don't know, maybe we wanted to impress people. Maybe we just thought we were tough. But we were like, hey, let's camp out at this haunted place. Let's do it. Let's get our buddies to go and drop us off there. And we're going to sleep there overnight. We didn't actually like camp out. We didn't bring a tent. We just brought like a bag full of Sprite and wakeboarding magazines. So we, our, we went in the middle of the night and our buddies dropped us off. And we're like, okay, see you in the morning. And we're like, yo, we're so tough. We're staying at the haunted place. But really quickly, we just got bored. <laughs> well, the Sprite was gone. We read the magazines. And we're like, it's we get hours until they show up again. What do we do? So we made a decision that teenagers thought might be smart. Let's walk back home. Let's walk back home down the road that took us 40 minutes to drive. So we did. And it was the middle of the night. But very quickly, after making one turn and another turn, we thought to ourselves, we have no idea where we're going. And we are lost. Someone, uh, I saw a light on someone's house turn on. And it seemed like they were like letting their dog outside to... Uh, do what dogs have to do outside. And I had no idea where I was going, so I ran up the guy's lawn and said, hey, are we close to town? Are we going, is this the right way? And the guy was kind of like spooked. He was like, yeah, just, just keep going that way. I was like, okay. So we kept going, but we quickly realized that if you run up to a person's house at 2 a.m., they probably would call the cops. And they did. <laughs> and a cruiser came up and picked me and my buddy up. And after they realized that we didn't have any materials for breaking and entering and we weren't trying to burn things and there was actually Sprite in our drinks and it wasn't like vodka or something, they were like, okay, we'll give you a ride back to town. So cop was driving us back and we took a turn and took a turn and took a turn. And I quickly realized, wow, if we were actually going to try and back, get back, no way, no way we would have made it home. We needed someone who knew the way to get us back to the place that we were going. I've had a lot of conversations with people in our church who have readily admitted to me that they're lacking assurance in their faith in Christ. They were lacking assurance in who God was and how they're supposed to live. They know the Bible, but they didn't have that complete confidence. And several of these people that I've talked to who are in a place where they lack full assurance, they think and convince themselves that the way to get back is by taking a break from church. Can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that. That they think the way back to Christ is leaving the Christian community to be with people who don't esteem Christ. That's foolish. Christian, you might lack assurance today. You might be in a place where you feel like you're wandering around and you're just trying to get, figure out how you can get back. You, don't, you know you made a foolish decision a couple of turns back, and you know that's where you got to the place you were. And the way we get back to Christ, the way that we can have full assurance is when we are knit together in love with other Christians, not by ourselves. We need the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 3 says that we need to encourage each other day after day so that we would not be in, uh, hardened by the deceitfulness of our sin. Our hearts are so deceitful that by ourselves, they will be hardened. We need the body of Christ to be daily encouraging us. And, and knowing Christ and seeking Christ, frankly, it's, it's too great for you by yourself. You need other Christians Listen to this verse, he, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, You, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you be filled that you may be filled with the fullness of God how will we be filled with the fullness of God how will we be know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge how will we grasp the breadth and length and height and depth when we're rooted and grounded in love together with all the saints Maybe you've helped somebody move before and you've known what it's like to try and maneuver a couch through a set of doors and upstairs into a moving van. Not easy. The problem with moving a couch out of a house isn't necessarily the sheer mass of a couch. Sometimes, yeah, the mass is hard because it's a recliner and there's lots of metal components inside. But frequently, the problem with moving a couch isn't its sheer mass, it's its size. It's so long and it's so wide and it's so deep that the sheer mass of that couch, some of you are strong enough to pick up yourself, but you can't pick it up because you don't have enough leverage because of how, how wide and how long it is. And in the same way, knowing Christ and the love of Christ is so immense that we need to be connected to the body of Christ to be able to grasp it and lift it. And you might feel like you lack assurance, but there are other Christians in this church who have that full assurance, who know where they're going, who see the lights guiding them down the path, who are holding the word of God, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And you might not have the light, but you can stand with other people who can show you the way. Without full assurance, we're going to be deceived by plausible arguments. We're going to be swept away, but... In a loving community, we can together reach the riches of full assurance. And we can stand firm against deceitful arguments that would turn us away from Christ. Let's seek Christ together so that we can have a love that enables full assurance. Three values that will equip us to be able to resist deception together in Christ. The first was love. The second is faith. Faith that enables full conviction. Look at the rest of the text with me. The next two verses, verse four, turn your eyes to the scriptures. It says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of faith in Christ. Faith that enables full conviction. Notice how Paul says in verse five, though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. He's not giving some toss-away cliche statement that we, you might hear a lot these days like, you know, you're in my thoughts and prayers, right? You might hear that a lot, especially like after natural disasters happen and politicians need to show like they're compassionate so they just tweet, you know, you're in my thoughts and prayers and I'm not questioning their sincerity, but it's, it's cliche, right? When, when Paul says, though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, it's not a cliche statement. He's genuinely showing the way that he cares for them because even though he's not with them, through the Holy Spirit, he belongs to them. The Apostle Paul is an apostle. He has leadership over the Gentile churches, including the Colossians. He has a position of authority to them, so he's connected to them. He also has been praying for them. He also knows of the circumstances because a man from that church, Epaphras, told them what's going on. And he also wrote a letter 
to them. And through his leadership and his prayers and through his letter, because of the unity that he has with them and the Holy Spirit, it's like he's actually there with them. And he cares for them, knowing what they're going through. And he tells them if, if he was actually physically there with them, what he would want, he, was, he would want to see them and rejoice over them. He would want to rejoice in seeing their good order and firmness of faith in Christ. He wanted to see this because he knew in verse 4, as it says, that there were people who were trying to delude them, deceive them with plausible arguments. That term plausible arguments was familiar in ancient Greek philosophy culture. Uh, the The Greek philosopher Plato used it to refer to popular trending ideas. Popular trending ideas that were widely accepted, not on the basis of logical truth, but on the basis of charismatic, emotional, just populism, right? It was just the flavor of the day. And the Apostle Paul wants them to be able to resist the deception of the flavor of the day, the trending arguments. And believe me, there are a ton in our culture today. Over the next four weeks, we're going to continue to evaluate chapter 2 and see all the different types of flavors of the day that look like they are Christian, but are just a mask of Christianity. And the Apostle Paul says in chapter 2, verse 23, that the true danger of these plausible arguments are that they that de- deceive us from the doctrine of Christ. The danger of false deception that deceives us from the doctrine of Christ is being shackled in our sin and stunted from spiritual growth because it minimizes the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake here. Minimize the supremacy of Christ. Minimize the sufficiency of Christ to know God, to know how to have a relationship with God, to know how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Minimize Christ, and what you get is shackled to sin, stunted spiritual growth. And Paul wants them to resist that, and he says that they can do it if they have good order and firmness of faith. And I use the word conviction to summarize what those words mean. Faith that enables Full conviction. Good order was a term that Paul borrowed from a military context. Good order described the order that soldiers would line up in a battle with different rankings of different positions so that the army as one could fight cohesively against the enemy. And Paul uses this term good order to describe the way that a Christian community should be ordered. How should we be ordered together? Like a military and soldiers all submit to one authority in the same way our orderliness must submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A well-ordered Christian community is an others-centered Christian community that is concerned more about the interests of others than their own. If you come in church and you're just thinking about how this church is gonna serve you and meet your spiritual needs, bro, we're out of order. Girl, if you just come thinking that like you got a lot of baggage and you just need people to serve you, hey, I believe that God can serve you and help you here. 
but you've got something to give to. An others-centered community is a well-ordered community that will be able to have faith and conviction and be able to fight back because we're cohesively as one when deception comes. Well-ordered and firmness of faith. Firmness was a use that Paul borrowed from like um, buildings that were just fortified. Think of a fortress, right? Um, a fortress has strong materials that's interlocked together so that when attack comes, you can go into it for refuge. And the Apostle Paul says that we should have a firmness of faith that because we are united together in Christ, that we stand in solidarity with one another. That if we see another brother or another sister hurting, we are side by side, locked together. Others centered in solidarity. That is a faith that will enable us to have a full conviction to resist deception. And we need this. This must be maintained at all costs. Because when you think about an army or you think about a fortress, naturally you think that the attack is coming from out there. But if you study the New Testament, most frequently, the deception that attacked the church came from within the church. You probably know the myth of the Trojan War. You might not know it called as the Trojan War, but you probably know the story about that horse. You remember that, right? Where the Greeks went to fight against Troy and there was Achilles and Brad Pitt play him in a movie. And, and for 10 years, I didn't know this, but for 10 years, the myth says the battle waged between the Greeks and the Trojans. And it waged for 10 years because of how big and how strong the Trojan Wall was. And at the end of like 10 years, they Tried, the Greeks tried to fool the Trojans, right? We've left, we're gone. Here's a present of a nice, enormous horse. It's our respect to you because we know you got a thing for horses. Goodbye. And then they took the horse inside. But what they didn't know was that where were the Greek soldiers? They were inside the horse. And then they brought it inside. And the Greeks sacked Troy from the inside. I want to give you a couple names from scripture. You might not know all of them, but you'll know some of them. Lucifer, Achan, Absalom, Judas. What do all these four people have in common? They're all traitors, and they all were people on the inside. Lucifer was one of the top angels. Achan was a part of the people of Israel, but he obeyed God's direct commandment not to take the, uh, the spoils from Jericho, but he disobeyed God. Absalom was David's, King David's son, and he betrayed his father. Y'all know Judas. When you study the New Testament, the book of Acts, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the attack comes from the inside. This shouldn't mean that you need to put your back up and be like skeptical of all other people in church. This means that we should be aware that each one of us can be a harm and a toxin to each other if we don't love and care for one another. If we're not willing to say the hard truth when the hard truth needs to be said. I want to share with you three traits of uh, I, I guess I could say the seeds that can be sown that can lead into false teaching. 
the seeds that can be sown that can make us false teachers, even if we don't realize it. And I share these things because if we're going to have faith that enables full conviction, we need to stand against Christlessness. And these are the seeds that are sown which produce Christlessness. The first one is this, stand against selfish ambition. We need to stand against selfish ambition. Bro, if you just want a position in the church for the sake of being able to be recognized as having a position in the church, that's a seed that if not ripped out could turn you away to be someone who betrays the church. 1 Timothy 1 verse 6 says this, Certain persons swerving from these have wandered into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either of what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assurance. There are people in the church that Timothy needed to correct who didn't have the doctrinal knowledge to actually be teachers, but they just wanted a position. They wanted the influence because of selfish ambition. Even our Lord Jesus, who is Lord and his, who is God, didn't need to lean on his title of Lord and God, but he served other people. He washed his disciples' feet. He knew title didn't define his worth, and he was willing to serve others. Beware of selfish ambition, because it's gonna, it'll put a rift in the church. Stand against selfish ambition, and then also this, stand against stubborn unteachability. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This passage says that the mark that you know the Lord is that you turn from sin. The most lost people are those who, who cannot see and will not listen. And if you get defensive every time your spouse tries to show you something that's clearly a violation from God's word, or if you don't want to go to small group because you don't think that other people need to know your business and you don't want to be told you're wrong, bro, you're in a bad spot. Stubborn unteachability will quickly allow us to be derailed by deception, stand against selfish ambition, stand against stubborn unteachability, and then this, stand against cozy people-pleasing. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the truth and wander off in the midst. If I care more about what you think about my sermon than what God cares about my sermon, we're in a bad spot. If you, maybe this is your first time at our church and you're already feeling a little uncomfortable that we talk pretty boldly about sin. Brother, sister, I would warn you, if you're not gonna come back here because you don't feel comfortable here and you just go and look for the place that finds you comfortability, you're gonna get swept up in deceptive lives that minimize the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ real quick. And you might start think, be thinking that you're following Jesus, but it might be some secular, humanist, 21st century version of Jesus that is not Christ at all. We need to be willing to say the hard truth to each other. And if you're just 
worried about feeling good and turning away from the hard truths in the name of grace, you're not being gracious. You're not being loving. But when we speak the truth in love, we will be able to have a conviction so that we can resist deception together. Love that enables full assurance. Faith that enables full conviction. And finally, here's the third value that we need if we're going to be able to resist deception together. Truth. Truth that enables full maturity. Okay, I admit that we are, this was a little heavier in the topic that we were talking about, like that we ourselves could be deceived, but now, now this next part of the passage is an encouraging motivation to walk in the faith with vigor and zeal. Look at verse 6 and verse 7 with me. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Truth that enables full maturity. The things that the Apostle Paul commands them to do here in chapter 2, he prayed for them to do. He prayed that God would do in them in chapter 1. Truly, our maturity is affected by God. And we need to pray for ourselves and for each other that God would bear the fruit in us. But while God does the work, we have a responsibility too. The truth that enables full maturity is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a school that, and a class that never goes out. No one graduates from the school of the gospel. I was at university from 2007 to 2011, and uh, my um, commencement speaker, the person who spoke at our graduation, I can't remember his name, but he was the guy who... Uh, wrote the screenplay for Braveheart. And he directed the recent movie um, Hacksaw Ridge that was about the uh, Christian man who was a conscientious objector who went into a fight for the World, uh, World War II for America, but he refused to bring a gun with him because he was a pacifist. And he won, won I think, the Purple Heart or Medal of Honor, the only conscientious objector, didn't bring a gun into the war, but he got the Medal of Honor. And the guy who wrote that movie based on a true story was my commencement speaker. And I remember end of the four years, cool speaker, wearing my, my weird robe and going to throw the hat and so excited because I'm going to graduate. But the funny thing was, I actually wasn't done. <laughs> I walked the aisle, I got my diploma that they told me wasn't actually the real diploma and that they would mail it to me in a couple weeks. But I didn't get it mailed in a couple weeks because I actually still had classes to finish. <laughs> they let me walk down the aisle, even though I had two classes left. But then in 2011, after I walked, I started working here. And I was so excited to finally be working at a church in the degree that I earned that I didn't pass the course that I needed to graduate. <laughs> and I never actually graduated. And it wasn't until a couple years later that I wanted to take a master's degree that I realized I haven't actually graduated and I need to actually finish this. But when I even finished that, I still had much more to learn when I got into my master's degree. Here's the point. You've never graduated from the gospel. You will always be in this school. Class will never be out. The gospel isn't the summit of the Christian faith. Receiving Jesus Christ doesn't mean the reach, you've reached the peak. It means you've got to base camp. And now it's time to climb, bro. 
as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The gospel is the truth that enables our full maturity. When the apostle Paul says that as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, he's talking about the gospel as a tradition that's been passed down. The idea is captured fully in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. It's on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 4 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Who did you first hear the gospel from? When did you first hear the truth that we were created in God's image, but because of our sin, we've been separated from God? When did you first hear that Jesus Christ suffered for your sins so that you could be saved from your sins? When did you first hear that if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, that you will be forgiven of your sin, restored to a relationship with God, and out of a hope of eternal life? See, the gospel is a message that's passed down like a tradition. The Colossians heard it from Epaphras, but Epaphras, it wasn't unique to him. He heard it from Paul, but it wasn't unique to him. He heard it from the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it's not just the thing you get so that you're saved. It's the source that continues to enable us to walk in maturity. As you first believed in Jesus, continue to believe in Jesus. As you first submitted to Jesus as your Lord, so continue to submit to him as your Lord. And as we continue to walk by the light of the gospel, we will walk down the path towards full maturity. And Paul describes that full maturity with four action words. What does maturity look like? If we're going to get it together, we need to strive for Christ-likeness. We have the truth that enables full maturity, so together, let's strive for Christ-likeness. Four aspects of growing into Christ-like maturity. First, rooted in Christ. If you're going to grow into maturity, you need to be rooted in Christ. In the same way that a tree is rooted into the ground. If a tree is going to be healthy and nourished, it gets its nourishment from the roots. Even in a dry season, even if it's not raining, the roots can go deep enough that it can get sustenance of water from the ground underneath and can stand firm when a storm comes. In the same way, Christian, you must be rooted in Christ. No one graduates from the school of the gospel. His supremacy and his sufficiency are enough for you to go, grow into his Christ-likeness. We need to be rooted in Christ, and we need to be built up in Christ. That's the second action word of Christ-like maturity, built up. In the scripture, these words, rooted and built up, are often used in tandem, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it kind of makes sense, because doesn't a building kind of have roots itself? It does, right? The foundation of a building is like the roots of a tree. But when the foundation is set, now the workers need to put brick upon brick to build it up. Are you making every effort to grow in Christ? 
You once were lazy, are you still lazy? You once were gluttonous, are you still gluttonous? You once were lustful, are you still lustful? Or are you putting off lust and putting on self-control? Are you putting away laziness and you're putting on wisdom? Are you making the efforts to grow in Christ? Or are you stalled out? Is the work stopped? By God's grace, I've been able to travel a fair bit to be able to do mission work serving orphans, helping lead kids camps with our church, supporting other churches, and I've been able to travel to Haiti uh, probably a dozen times or so. And when they build houses in Haiti, when individuals build houses, there's a lot less access to credit like we have here and lines of credit. And so if they're going to build, the only way they can support the materials is just through straight cash, right? They can't take out a loan, can't take out a line of credit. When the cash comes, I build. So when the cash comes, maybe they build a foundation. They put in the rebar, they lay down the concrete, but maybe that's all they have for now. And they've got to work for a couple of years, but they can't live in it because they don't have enough cash. But the cash comes and they maybe can build up one wall, but then the cash is out and they can't work for years. And there are so many houses that are just left unfinished. Is that what your Christian life is like right now? Can you remember a time when you were growing but maybe now you've been stalled for years? Listen, it's not like you don't have enough cash or credit to continue to grow. The gospel is enough power for you to be continually growing day by day. We're not perfect, but we're striving for Christ-likeness. And in Christ, we can always be growing. But love of the world the approval of man rather than the approval of God, maybe you've stalled out. Keep building, bro. Keep laying brick by brick down. You have the foundation, you have the roots planted, build up. If we're gonna strive for Christ's likeness, we need to be rooted, we need to be built up, and we will be established. Established is a legal term in the original language, and it refers to like a law that is ratified. I heard on the radio the other day that the government of Ontario might be debating about whether or not they should increase the speed limit of highways from 100 to 120. Good decision, bad decision, I don't know. People kind of drive that way anyway, but it's not law yet. And if it's going to be law, the things need to happen. One, they need to propose a bill. Then they need to debate the bill. Then they need to vote on the bill. Then the Ministry of Transportation needs to put new signs up. And the, the police need to be trained. And, and it's not until the bill is ratified and voted upon that it can actually function that we can legally drive 120. When Paul used the words established, he's using it in that way that your faith is ratified to a degree that when people see it, it's noticeably true that you are what you're supposed to be. If people heard that you were at church this weekend at work, would they be surprised? You go to church? If, if you told your classmates that you go to youth on Tuesday night, they'd be like, you go to, you go to youth group on Tuesday nights instead of doing homework, instead of playing basketball? You, you're a church goer. Being established in your faith doesn't mean that the building is complete, but it means that your faith functions in a way that is noticeable to other people. That people see your love, that they see your humility. Are you noticeably different like Christ? 
Or do you blend in like everybody else? If we're blending in and not standing firm, man, deception can come and just derail you so easily. But if we are rooted and built up and established, we will be able to stand firm. And the fourth aspect of Christ-like maturity is thankfulness. I'll simply say this. Thankfulness describes that we should be living worshipful lives. And thankfulness is the most fertile soil that will produce the most fruitful worship. So if you were like sitting in during the song singing today and you were not interested in all, maybe, maybe you don't sing because you like to complain. It's really hard to worship God when you can't see your circumstances, Christ in all of your circumstances. Thankfulness is the ability to appreciate God and his grace no matter what the circumstances, but a complainer and a whiner is not willing to be thankful. And you know what the summit of the Christian faith really is? It's worship. Worship. This is what we're aiming for. This is what God wants for us. And when we attain to this, we will be able to resist deception in Christ together with love that enables full assurance, with faith that enables full conviction, and with truth that enables full maturity. But maybe you don't have it today. And I'll conclude with this thought for you. Maybe you don't have full assurance and you're wandering around in the darkness. Maybe you don't have full conviction and you're really tossed back and forth by other people. Maybe, maybe you're not growing and you are still stalled out. What can you do? All of these three values will equip us to be able to resist deception together in Christ, but if they're not there in your life, I would simply ask you the same question that Jesus asked the apostle Peter. Do you love Christ? After Jesus rose from the dead, uh, Peter had went back to his former life. He was a fisherman, but God called him to leave the life of fishermen so that he could be a fisher of men, bring people to Jesus. But after Peter denied Jesus three times, he was so distraught, he just went back to his former life. Even after he saw Christ Jesus risen from the dead, he was still living his former life. But then one day Christ showed up again. And Peter was fishing but couldn't catch anything. And then Jesus told Peter, throw your net on the other side of the boat. So Peter did. And then he caught the biggest catch of his entire life. And when he came to the beach, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me more than these? And when he said these, he was probably referring to the fish. Peter, do you love me more than your former life? Peter, do you love me more than the most successful version of yourself that you could attain to in your former life? See, friend, I want you to be able to have full assurance and have full conviction and have full maturity. These are assets that will equip us to be able to resist deception. But the greatest asset that will motivate you to do whatever it takes to find all of these three will be a love for Jesus Christ. You will seek Christ when you love him. You will gather with other Christians when you love Christ. You will have conviction when you know that Christ is the truth because you love him. You will walk in maturity towards Christ's likeness when you love that he saved you from your sin and you want to become like him. Our greatest asset to resist deception is an uncontested, ever-growing, passionately burning love and worship for Jesus Christ. Do you love him?
Do you love Christ more than your former life or your most successful version of it? That's your greatest asset. And if there are things that you know that you are loving in the place of Christ, hey, count it all as loss. And with him, you will be able to stand firm against deceptive lies together in Christ. Would you stand together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for the fullness of Christ that you have given to us. Thank you that by faith in Jesus, you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are able to be called your children. Thank you that you call me a slave of Christ, a friend of Christ, a co-heir with Christ. Thank you that you have revealed to us his supremacy and his sufficiency. Lord in heaven, help us to hold fast to him. And over these next few weeks, we're going to consider, Lord, those things which can deceive us. But I thank you that today we can know that Christ is the rock which, with, of whom we can stand on. Help us to stand on Christ, Lord the solid rock. Thank you that his word is a foundation by which we can build the house of our faith on and is not a sinking sand, but we can stand firm when the storm comes. Help us, Lord. Help us to have the love, the faith, and to live by the truth that enables full assurance and full conviction, moving towards full maturity so that we can be equipped to resist deception together. Help us, God, in Jesus' name, amen.